Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HR Works Podcast, brought to you by HR Daily Advisor. I'm your guest host, Josh Zygmunt, Content Director for Simplify Media. The HR Works Podcast provides clear, relevant, and actionable information on topics that matter to you, the HR professional. When you're armed with the best practices and strategies to attract, retain, and engage top talent and deliver exceptional service to your organization, HR just works. In today's episode, we're joined by Allison Long, Chief People Officer at Till Payments, a global fintech payment solution based out of Sydney, Australia, and rapidly expanding into global markets that include North America, with offices now in New York, Colorado, Arizona, and Canada. Ali, welcome to the HR Works Podcast. Thanks for coming on. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. And Ali, thank you for joining us from Sydney, Australia a bit early. So I appreciate you coming on to speak to us today about all the recruiting efforts and expansion that you're doing there at Hill Payments. No, it's a pleasure to be here. It is early. I apologize if anyone hears my toddler in the background. She's a, a bit of a morning person like me as well, but I couldn't think of a better way to start my day. Well, look, as so many of us are now accustomed to working from home in different work styles, the background noise has just become a natural part of any conversation we've had over the last two years. So totally okay and probably welcomed in most cases. Makes us all human. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Let's get stuck into it. I'm so excited. All right, let's do it. So before we start, Ali, I'd love to just learn more about your career path. And if you could share with us a bit of what led you to pursuing a career in human resources and eventually becoming Chief People Officer at Till Payments. I uh, I actually started my career in accounting, of all things, and I used to do a lot of consulting and contracting work and always dealt with external recruitment agencies on that journey. And I just loved the experience I got as a candidate on the other side. And so it really sparked this interest for me to step into talent acquisition. And when I did, I I never really looked back. I found my feet much more firmly on in-house talent acquisition. Um, I really, really thrived there. And I loved seeing the full cycle of, you know, candidates, how we build that brand for people, how we engage with them, um, you know, make sure they're the right fit for a business, taking them right through that employee life cycle, right through to them offboarding and finding that next career journey as well and how we can assist with that. So it was really one of those things that I wouldn't say I fell into it, but I'm really glad that I had that opportunity to pivot my career and find something that really does feel like my true calling. But the role into Chief People Officer, it's been a, a relatively new one. You know, I've been in this position for a few months now. And that's been a huge learning curve because no longer am I just focusing on talent acquisition. I really have ownership. My remit is for that full employee life cycle that we see as well. So my team does everything from people operations, talent acquisition, of course, but things like learning and development. How do we invest back into our people and really drive an incredible employee experience at all touch points? That's so great. And thank you for sharing that, Ali. It's so interesting. The more people I speak with in the HR community, the more you find that oftentimes the career in human resources and talent acquisition and people operations often finds people more than they find it. I think uh, some people are just really drawn to people-focused roles. Um, I know certainly when I have a look at the team that I work with, we've got a range of different backgrounds, you know, where they've kind of started their careers and how they've they've found their way into uh, those more HR-focused um, positions. So I couldn't agree more. I think sometimes people just uh, naturally find this calling towards it throughout their career. And it's a wonderful, wonderful, I often say to my business, you know, I've got the best role in the whole company. I absolutely love what I do every single day. That's so great. And I love your positive outlook here. So Ali, for our audience, many of whom are based in North America and may not be familiar with Till Payments, can you share a bit more about Till Payments and what the company works on? 
Yeah, so we're, we're a payments business um, at our core. So we have been around actually for about 10 years, which some people don't don't believe because it does feel like we've really kind of crashed into the market over the past year or so. But essentially, we work really closely with merchants or partners to help facilitate a really brilliant payment experience for whoever their end customer is. And so we do that in a multitude of different channels and ways. And at the moment, our product offering is, I would say, the uh, the most mature within the Australian market. Um, but we have been in the US market for coming up to a year now. We're seeing some really great traction. Our team is about 60 people there that we've built over the past 12 months. And I think you're going to see a lot more things coming out about till payments as, uh, as we continue to build our presence there as well. That's so great. And the team expansion piece is absolutely something we're going to dig into. But before doing that, In reading and learning more about Till Payments, I was seeing that your company employs the force company culture methodology. Could you explain more of that to our listeners and really what that all entails? I'd love to. So we we set five values that essentially define and guide our business and how we'd like to operate. And those five values, the first letter of every single value, which I'll share in a moment, actually spell out the word force. And so it's become this thing that we refer to ourselves as the tool force. Um, you know, it really creates that feeling of family and unison um, when we talk that way, when we use that sort of language internally. But the five guiding values, it's focus on the customer and the rest will follow. We have a value that's one team, one family, and it really is how we kind of define, uh, you know, the experience we want to create for our people. Uh, we have one that's rest in reason and move in passion. It's really about thinking before you act. Um, our fourth value, and again, you'll see a lot of similar ones to, to this sort of thinking in a lot of tech companies, but it's create, break, iterate. It's really removing that fear of failure and making sure that our people have the space to thrive, but also that they're encouraged just start somewhere and we can always evolve it from there. Um, and our fifth value is exceptional, nothing else. And we strongly believe that if we guide and live our lives by those first four values, when we're talking about time at till, that fifth one will come quite naturally. I love that. It's been such a stabilizing force, no pun intended there, for so many companies, especially going through the changing times of the last two years, is having a really strong company culture and established mission statement for employees to really live by and abide by and know that's the guiding light through so many changes and growth opportunities now going forward as we go into 2022. And many companies like yourself are looking to expand and grow their teams and develop in unique scenarios too, right? Not just based in an office, but with global workforces, with global teams that need one unifying statement or mission to get behind. Something like force, it seems to work exactly like that. I couldn't agree more. And when we talk about, you know, what we want to create as part of that employee experience, things like the benefits that we offer or anything around that, we actually then drive it back to what are our values, you know? So what are the guiding principles for what's important to us as an organization and how do we make sure that the benefits that we offer our people actually align or reflect to those? Because if people are joining till because they believe in those values, we want to make sure that that's actually a really holistic sort of offering that we can provide to them as well. Absolutely. So Ali, I'm having you join the HR Works podcast today as part of our recruiting and talent acquisition week on HR Daily Advisor. So with that, I wanted to look at some recent news that's taken place with Till Payments as you're looking to expand into the North America market with offices now expanding into New York, Colorado, Arizona, and Canada. You're really building that global workforce. So from a human resources perspective, What are some of the biggest challenges facing international organizations that are looking to enter into new markets, and in this case, specifically North America? 
I think there's there's a few things that come to mind um, and certainly what we've experienced over the past 12 months is we've started to build our teams over there. So the biggest one, and we experienced the same thing in Australia, um, you know, when I first joined the business as a very small startup way back when, and that was really around having any sort of brand awareness. So people didn't know till they didn't recognize the brand. And so there wasn't immediately that kind of feeling of trust with us. So we really had to show who are we, um, you know, not only what, is, what do we do as a company and, and what is our unique offering and why do we think we're going to be successful, but also what is the culture, what does it mean to work at Till, you know, what are the sort of things that we champion and that we believe in and if people will take the, I suppose, you know, that risk of joining a startup, what are they going to get in return for it as well? So it was really around creating that brand presence in market. The other thing that we needed to do as well, and this is um, – one of the things that coming out of an Australian business, the sort of benefits that we offer our people, it is quite different to what we see in the US market. So we had to make sure that whatever we were offering to our people over there was really relevant to candidates who sat in that candidate market as well. So health insurance is a really good example. In Australia, it's it's a kind of nice to have. You know, there's not many people in Australia who would turn down a role because they didn't get health insurance. However, in the US, of course, it's completely different. Um, you know, we see that it's the vital part of, uh, of that kind of benefit package or that job offering. So we needed to make sure that we were doing the right assessment there. Um, and to do that, we needed to make sure that we had people on the ground who really understood what those markets were or could advise us on that as well. So that way we were coming with something that was relevant. It was obviously within the certain legislations that we had to work to, given they were different from Australia, and also, um, you know, help start to solidify that brand awareness as well. Very interesting. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's the challenges of compliance issues from country to country working internationally that so many brands now are trying to navigate and understanding that portion of it. But even the brand awareness piece is an uphill battle for so many upstarts and new organizations, especially those that may not have that global awareness. But that's, again, going back to something like a forced company culture approach where that can really drive home an understanding of what the brand is and what the culture is for the company. As again, you're probably very new new to even many new employees that come on board. It's exactly right. So we, we've harnessed both the, the force values and, um, and a phrase you've probably heard a lot, which is an EVP, so an employee value proposition. So we, um, we're actually adjusting the process of refreshing our EVP because we created one when I joined the business in Australia last year and it was still a very Australian business at that time and it was heavily focused on the attraction of people in Australia. Um, and so we realised very quickly that we needed to evolve that as we started to enter more global markets. And so by doing that, what we actually did is we, again, we started to get an idea based on who was on the ground, um, you know, in that North American market, how they could advise on it. But we wanted to go one step further and we actually went out to our entire organisation, which at that stage was just over 300 people. So this is a few months ago now. And we, we asked them, you know, why did you join Till? Why do you want to stay at Till? You know, what is that retention? What keeps you here? But also what are the benefits that are important to you? Um, you know, what are the things that you'd like to see? Maybe they're nice to have and what's absolutely vital? Um, you know, what is a non-negotiable for you and it's going to make you really, really um, engaged to stay with the business as well. So we took that sort of approach to take our people on the journey to create that EVP. And we're noticing coming into market as we continue to grow and scale, it is a really authentic proposition that we have. Um, for people who are joining us and it ties so closely to our values because again they do really intertwine you know people have joined us for our values and they they stay for the benefits and they stay for the culture and the career development that they're going to get as well as part of that EVP. 
Absolutely. And, and I think, again, that's such a smart approach entering into new markets to become familiar with what the expectation is for the talent pool that you're now looking to tap into, seeing what's expected, what's being desired, but then also having what sets you apart, right? And what makes you unique and attractive to that talent that you're looking to attract in such a competitive market. Absolutely. And I think that I think it's really important to be very authentic about that from the get-go. Not every candidate is going to love your business and that's okay. You know, the interviews are designed to be two-way street. People should self-select out if they don't see alignment to what you offer or what you expect from people or or what that culture is going to be. Um, but for every person who sees it, it's not their cup of tea, you'll generally find there's some person who is so excited and so driven to be part of the business as well. But Ali, I think we're seeing that too with so many companies globally, certainly in North America, where they are really establishing what their brand is, what their culture is. And if it's the right match, great. If it's not, there are other opportunities out there. But I think with so many new options now too, right, you bring work from home or flexible work into the equation now as one of the defining factors of an organization. You can bring different pieces in that maybe even two years ago didn't exist or they, there weren't as many to add into the mix and, and define what the company culture is. Now there are so many options to look at, certainly hybrid work or flexible working arrangements being one of them that can set a, a company apart and really establish who they are. So if there's talent that is looking for a flexible work arrangement and does not want to be in person, that's the right fit. If there are people who want to work in person fully, there are options for them as well. I couldn't agree more. And I think flexible work is, and certainly I think what has happened over the past few years, it's no longer just about being at home or being in the office. And I think the pandemic has really changed that just at super speed. I think what we're seeing, and it's certainly what we do here at Till as well, is it's really thinking about, okay, what is true work-life balance? For myself, you know, I'm, I'm an early riser. My toddler makes sure of that every single day. I'm in the office pretty early most days. And I love going to the office. I really thrive around other people as well. But I often leave early so I can still do the bed and bath and dinner routine for my daughter. And it's not unusual for me to jump online later that evening when I have more global calls that I need to be on with a different time zone. So I, as a leader, make sure that our business doesn't have kind of set start and finish times for the majority of our people. There are some roles that do require it because of specific shifts that we have to cover. But really around embracing that true flexibility. So how do you make sure that the day works for you? And we actually find that when we allow people to have that complete ownership and complete freedom of the way that they work, our people are a lot more dedicated, probably getting more out of them than they actually think. You know, we, we do a pretty standard, you know, 38 to 40 hour work week down here. I wouldn't be surprised if some people are giving more than that because they actually want to. They're so, you know, they, they're really motivated by their jobs, but they also feel completely, um, you know, in control over what their own work schedule is every single week as well. And it's one of the things that we're bringing flexibility in a new way and a new light to till as well. Yeah, I mean, that piece of being in control is so smart and absolutely right. So many employees are learning that, yeah, when they do feel like they're in control of their day-to-day -day schedule, there's more of a want and a willingness to jump into the additional work and put in the additional work because they're passionate about it. They're enjoying the work. They're happy to be there and a part of the culture. And that has been more into the company culture um, and corporate culture that, that we're learning so much more about over the past few years. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And now, a word from our sponsor. Today's episode of the HR Works podcast is brought to you by Namely. We all do our best to stay ahead of the latest business trends, but keeping up can be its own full-time job. With everyone wearing multiple hats, it's easy to fall behind. And that's why you need Namely. It's the all-in-one HR solution that adapts with your business. 
Namely helps you and your team with all aspects of HR, from onboarding and performance management to payroll and intuitive benefits enrollment. Whether you have 50 or 1,000 employees, Namely is your all-in-one connected and modern platform. Plus, Namely is customizable for your company, culture, and goals so they can match where you are now and where you're going in the future. So grow with Namely. Learn more about making the switch today by going to my special URL at namely.com slash hrworks. And for a limited time, get one month free when you make the switch to Namely today. So don't wait. That's namely.com slash hrworks. And now back to our episode. So, Ali, looking at the idea of recruiting, especially recruiting internationally, with many companies looking to go global and having this new opportunity, right, with a diverse workforce, with also a distributed workforce, that they can actually start recruiting globally. What's the first step that organizations who are looking to globalize their recruiting efforts should take? So we spoke before around, you know, how you actually jump into market from a kind of a talent acquisition or recruiting point of view, so building that brand. So I think they're still crucial, but there's a lot of compliance things that people need to be aware of as well when they step into markets. And that's, you know, wherever you're looking to hire people, what are the the regulations um, around employment in those areas? That's something that you want to make sure that you don't get wrong from the get-go because it's a very bad mistake to make and it's a very expensive mistake to make. What I would say, and this is certainly a learning that we had here at Till as well, is investing really early into the right systems and the right way to onboard people as well, especially when people are joining you remotely. They may not have as much crossover in terms of time zones and that availability to their peers and other locations. The onboarding experience you're delivering for them is really well thought out. Um, it's going to set them up for success. Um, it's going to give them everything that they need to know and make them feel really engaged in the business from day one. Um, and I say that's been a learning for us because, you know, we, we grew really quickly. To give you an idea of the numbers that we went from is we had 40 people in February of 2021. We're now 350 people about 15, 16 months later. So these were learning curves that we had ourselves and we realised very early into that scaling journey just how important it was to invest in the onboarding experience for our people. So my advice to anyone going through that is have a look at your systems, have a look at your compliance, but make sure that you don't discount how important it is to set people up for success from day one, especially if they're in remote locations. That's some great advice. Thank you, Ali. I love that you touched on the technology piece as well. That brings me to my next question. What are the pieces of technology that you think will have the biggest impact in recruiting efforts going forward? I I do get asked this a little bit, especially around artificial intelligence and kind of screening tech. It makes me feel like a bit of a dinosaur when I say it, but I'm not a huge fan of a lot of the the AI for resume screening. Um, I do absolutely see the benefit in really high volume and I do get that but I think sometimes when you are looking at more niche roles there is a lot of value in actually seeing an authentic CV come through and I think um, with more businesses using these AI screening tools you do hear people kind of gaming that a little bit and you know putting the right keywords and the right buzzwords into their CV and you're maybe not necessarily getting the right lens on what is the value that they offer um, or what is you know how they're authentically wanting to portray themselves. One of the things that we're certainly seeing um, as we grow is, you know, how do we make sure that our interviews are as close to a real world setting as they possibly can be? So, you know, we still want to make sure there's really open conversations um, and having behavioural questions and technical questions. And of course, they form a part of it. But how do we actually measure someone's capability in the role through strategic or technical? testing um you know at the moment we do a range or a mix of things and some of them we use technology platforms for some of them we still kind of build these sort of strategy exercises ourselves and i think that's going to be a huge opportunity for tech in coming years around recruitment is how do we actually assess those skill sets really really well 
um, in real life examples that are relevant to the business that they're joining as well. And then I think the final one is um, when we think about recruitment, um, it's got to be a two-way street. And sometimes I think businesses forget that and it feels very, very one-sided. But as candidates to have a lot more options, you know, it's some of the best job economies we've seen in the world at the moment. So there is generally more opportunities available for candidates when they are out there hunting. How do you make sure that or how can we use technology so they can actually meet the team, understand the company culture better, understand the company strategy and vision, you know, what are the different ways you can deliver that in a way that they can understand and, and really get a feeling of what it's going to be like to be on the ground when they join. And let's use technology to deliver that in a really easy to, um, to consume way. I love what you mentioned regarding the screening opportunity and taking advantage of technology to better screen candidates. I mean, we talk about so much on HR Daily Advisor of the cost of hiring, right? And so much goes into making the right hire. It can be just as costly on the back end to make the wrong hire and then have to start back at square one. Using technology, it can really benefit and eliminate some of those easy pitfalls with making the wrong candidate selection. Absolutely. I think there's, um, and again, it comes down to, I think, why that candidate might not be the right fit. So hence why there's so many different elements that are really crucial within a recruitment process. So, you know, you want to make sure that there is that great cultural alignment, or I should say values alignment. So I try to shy away from saying culture fit. It's really around values fit. You know, we want to make sure that we have people who really align to the values that we have as a business. And that's why we're so openly and outwardly um, expressing them constantly so that we can make sure that if people don't feel that that really aligns to what they want in an organisation, they can self-select out early. But then absolutely, you know, is there a way that you can harness technology um, through that? But certainly for technical skills, you know, there is a lot of these platforms have come a really long way in recent years that we can start to get an understanding that does someone actually have the right skills that they're going to thrive in the position that we bring them into and how do we set them up for success in that? I love also that you mentioned bringing the human element back in. So yes, as important as technology is to assess those technical skills and find the right candidate who can do the job, bringing the human element into the recruiting process is still vital. It's still crucial because again, you may miss that perfect candidate who just didn't fit the algorithm perfectly or didn't fit the algorithm in the right way and was overpassed. And there's so much great talent right now out in the market that my opinion is that there still needs to be that human element involved in there too, to really make sure you're fully getting an assessment and a full capture of who the candidate is. It's exactly true. And I think that where the human element can add value to is, you know, we we all know the stats around how much better uh, teams are and businesses are when they have a more diverse workforce. And that's in a multitude of, um, of different ways. And I think sometimes bringing that human element in gives you the ability to cast an eye and say, well, how does this skill set actually complement the rest of the team? We don't always need a team who have the exact same knowledge or the exact same type of skills. It is really beneficial to have people who challenge the way that we think and they come on board with different industry knowledge or different backgrounds and help us shape a much better product or, or whatever they might be working on to build. Right. So many companies are now learning the value of really bringing a diverse culture into their workforce, and that can be diversity on so many levels. Absolutely. So knowing that you got your start in talent acquisition, entering into the human resources profession, how has recruiting changed from the COVID-19 pandemic? What's the biggest difference that you've seen in recruiting? The past two years has thrown everything on its head um, when it comes to, I think, recruitment and HR. I think it has been an absolute roller coaster, and I don't think it's done yet either. Um, 
I think coming through the pandemic, it taught people just how flexible that we need to be, um, either through recruitment processes or, um, you know, the flexibility that we offer in the workplace as well. There was a lot of media around the great resignation and what that did for, you know, a lot of people who sat within the talent acquisition community. Um, you know, we a lot of us were really affected negatively by the, the pandemic in the early days. A lot of businesses weren't growing or even downsizing. There wasn't necessarily a need around recruitment teams. Um, and so then as our economy bounced back, it was one of the most in-demand jobs um, through through 2021. And, uh, and we started to see this, this great resignation. So a lot of people changing. So recruiters were really having a hard time making sure that they had, you know, a really strong offer in a market. They were going out and able to attract the right people. Um, and the competition was really, really tight for employers at that time as well. We... We spoke before around that EVP um, and I think how that's going to move forward is, is we're moving from this great resignation where we're seeing a lot of people change, a lot of people who want to shake up through to the great regret. Um, and it's starting to be something that I'm hearing come out at the moment where people have changed jobs and, you know, sometimes it's been financially motivated or for other reasons and they maybe haven't done that same level of assessment on where they're looking to go or they haven't done a thorough assessment. And we're seeing now candidates who are a lot more... Um, I suppose, inquisitive about all elements of what that position is going to be. So they're really assessing companies um, much more rigorously than we have seen in the past a lot of the time as well. They've got more options in front of them. So for recruitment and for talent acquisition, it is a very, very hard market to be and you have to make sure that, again, you're really coming back to what does it mean to work for us? What is our culture? What is our EVP? And letting that stand out um, and making sure that it actually is built out enough that it does stand out from the crowd. Um, And I think that's how we're going to see times change as we move forward through recruitment is that you really have to bring it back to what is your company's authentic offering Um, and how do we make sure that you know people who are joining us we do show them what's and all what that job's going to be so they don't jump into something and maybe not have the full picture um, and go through you know what I think we're going to see is this great regret that's going to come up with people who've changed jobs so much over the past few years. Very interesting. And that's so true, right? You've got this talent pool now that is massive, that for all intents and purposes is global, but they also have the greatest access to information they've ever had. So they can find out about your company, about the position much more quickly. They can do research ahead of time. It really employs companies to be very upfront with corporate values and what the company stands for, what the position is. And it will be really interesting to see over the next few years what the overall reaction is, because again, through the great resignation, we're seeing so many employees leaving their current positions, looking for new opportunities, trying the market out. And yes, it will be really interesting to see, okay, does that stick? Is there a fallback to reassessing in a few more years as things change, as we start to learn what is the right mix between hybrid work and working in an office? People may find that two years of working remotely is fine, but maybe 10 years down the line, that doesn't really fit their life plan. So it will be really interesting and a true social experiment, I think, over the next few years to see how things play out. I'm really excited to see what happens with it. It's um, it's constantly evolving, I think. And I said this before, for every person who doesn't like something, we have people who love it. You know, we've got people in our business who say, I just want to work fully remote. We've got people who say, I come into the office five days a week and, you know, that's how I thrive. So it's very much down to individual preference, but I think it evolves year on year as well. Yeah, that's a great outlook. So again, we're here with Alison Long, Chief People Officer at Till Payments, who's joining us for the HR Works podcast episode that will be airing as part of Recruiting and Talent Acquisition Week on HR Daily Advisor. So shifting gears here and learning more just about you, what's something that you've learned about yourself over the past two years that's made you a better leader? 
I think the past two years has been very, very turbulent for a lot of people in many, many different ways. And when I think about the sort of leader I want to be, not just for my team, but for the business, it's really making sure that there is that culture of inclusivity and that people are completely supported um, and, you know, feel that, that psychological safety um, as well within the workplace. And one of the things that I've learned is that you have to, as a leader, be really, really outward in how you lead from the front um, and do that. So an example of it is, you know, I, I talk about flexibility in the workplace and I talk about, uh, you know, mental health in the workplace a lot, but it's one thing to talk about. It's another thing to actually show the actions that I'm taking around that. So for example, whenever I get my hair done, um, I usually go on a Tuesday morning, I take my laptop, but I make a real point of, you know, telling my team and people in the business, hey, I'm out, I'm going to be at a hair appointment today, so I can't take calls, but I'm online, I'll be on Teams, I'll be on email, to show them that it's perfectly okay, that again, they can have that true flexibility, they can make the day work for them for what they need to do. And in the same sort of vein there, you know, I if I do need to take a mental health day, I don't shy away from that. I put it in my calendar under a mental health day, I, you know, talk to my team and say I'm going to take some time off I'm, I'm going to go get a massage I'm just going to you know have a bit of a kind of tech free day and I really try to talk around what that means for me to make sure that they understand that it's okay for them as well um, and that it's not just one of those things that companies talk the talk but don't walk the walk about and I think that's probably one of the things that I'm most proud about as I think about myself as a leader is really leading from the front and being very very outward around the, the policies that we have and how we see them lived in day-to-day life. I love that. That's a great learning. And that's being authentic, right? That's just being genuine. That's so much of, I think, what many of us have learned is that we can let our guard down and truly be our real selves with our team members and showing, yeah, it's okay to need a mental health day or to say, hey, I'm taking the morning off to take care of myself and do what I need to do in my personal life, but I am also accessible. Being genuine, I think, is going both ways and is certainly being appreciated when leadership can do that. Couldn't agree more. And if I think about some of the great leaders I've had in the past and, you know, certainly some of the qualities I look to emulate when I when I am, am a leader myself, I think about those sort of things, you know, how they made me feel, um, you know, how they gave me that flexibility to make sure that I had a really, really great work-life balance as well. And they were some of the things that stood out the most to me. So I hope to try to copy and, and um, you know, deliver that for my team and the people who work at Till as well. Right. You're paying it forward. That's it. So from that leadership that you looked up to, Was there any advice that you received along the way that really helped you progress in your career and that you could pass along to our human resources professionals and recruiting professionals that are listening to this episode? There's probably two pieces. So um, as as a female, back before I actually moved into talent acquisition, I got offered a job. um, And I remember talking to my current boss and she was wonderful. She was the head of a division. And I said, oh, I've been offered this job. And, you know, here's the salary. And she said, is the salary you want? I was like, oh, I thought I was going to get a little bit more. She's like, ask for it then. I thought, oh, but what if they pull the job offer? And she goes, I can tell you right now, if you were a man, you'd be asking for it. And you need to stop thinking that, you know, you are grateful for this opportunity. That they obviously want you. You know, you're obviously their preferred candidate. You have to let them know what you want now as a result of that as well. And it was advice to receive as I think I was, you know, in my early 20s at the time. Um, and it was... It was something that I've really held on to and I've actually shared that back with a range of different, you know, friends and colleagues over the years as well that, you know, just because you naturally want to feel that, oh, I feel so grateful for this opportunity doesn't mean that you shouldn't be asking for what you want as well. Um, And it never hurts to have that conversation as long as you do it in the right way, of course. Um, One of the other things that, and this has been a very, very recent thing is, um, you know, as I've stepped up into a, a chief people officer role, I had a huge amount of imposter syndrome. Um, And, you know, it was, it's, 
very hard to believe that anyone else kind of feels the same way as you and you kind of think, why am I sitting in this ELT meeting right now? What value do I bring? And it was funny, you know, as I started to talk about that with some of my peers and some people that I know, everyone in the room was kind of feeling the exact same thing. And it, it just struck me and it, and it always surprises me just how much everyone actually feels imposter syndrome. Um, and it's not only around, you know, getting a promotion or starting a new, or starting a new job, it could even be something that if you're in recruitment and you're looking to you know recruit some roles you've never recruited before maybe say like you know you've never been a tech recruiter and you have to jump into that space you really doubt yourself on that ability to build the connection with candidates but you shouldn't you have to really think about what's the value that you bring to that conversation and everyone's on a learning journey throughout their career and I think if anyone's not on a learning journey in their career they're probably a little bit bored to be honest yeah that's so true and you're 100% correct we're all going through that imposter syndrome in varying degrees and I think it's identifying okay where are your strengths what makes you unique that you can bring to the table that sets you apart and leaning into that but it's so true everybody's dealing with it and fighting that battle of imposter syndrome absolutely so I do my best to try to squash it it does still come up from time to time but I just remind myself that you know there's there's a value that I bring um you know I've, I've got a certain skill set I've got expertise and it's absolutely you know valid it's why I sit at the table um and that everyone's probably thinking the same thing around their area as well yeah, you, you lean on your strengths, but then you also recognize the strengths in those around you and lean on them when needed too. Exactly. That's what makes a great team. So Ali, before we wrap here, I know you've shared a bit with us about Till Payments, but do you have anything you want to share with our audience that you're excited about or want to plug? Oh, of course I want to do a bit of a shameless plug around Till. You know, Go for we, it. If people aren't familiar with us, jump online. We have a really wonderful website which talks about um, you know, our origins, our products. You can jump on and see some photos of our teams um, and some of the different things that we're doing there as well. But we are going to continue to grow and scale. You know, We are just at the start of our journey. Um, at the moment and over the next few years we've got some really exciting things coming our way and in order to deliver those you know we have to scale and grow our teams as well so um, if you do jump on our website and you have a look and you like what you see when you read about us um, you can actually email me directly from the website so there should be a button under our careers page that you um, can reach out to me and I'd love to hear from you if that's you know you just wanting to check in you can connect with me on LinkedIn or if it's you you know inquiring about upcoming job opportunities I'll make sure that you connect us to the right people in our talent team so we can have this conversations with you and bring you on the journey that's great thanks ali and do you have a website we can direct our listeners to absolutely it's tillpayments.com nice and easy okay great well again allison long chief people officer at till payments thank you so much for joining the hr works podcast today and having a great conversation about recruiting the state of recruiting today and really what it takes to recruit in a global market we learned so much it was so great having you share so much of your learnings with us and we hope to have you back again soon it's been an absolute pleasure josh thank you so much for having me on all right thanks ali thank you for listening to the hr works podcast be sure to check out our new episodes every tuesday follow us on all major streaming platforms including itunes spotify and amazon audible 